Guess who's getting some class? I'm going to college. Rodney Dangerfield's going back to school. And that's what I call marine biology. Hey, boys, here's a couple of pens in case you learn how to write, okay? When I used to dream about going to college, this is the way I always pictured it. Wait a minute, when did you dream about going to college? When I used to fall asleep in high school. Here's a book on sex education. Let me see that. The world's oldest living freshman. Well, he left out the most important thing. Where to get it? Good teacher. He really seems to care about what I have no idea. Welcome back to the B-Movie Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Kautzer. And with me, as always, is uh, I'm actually your co-host because uh, you have another host, uh, another co-host with me today, of course, as always, is Scott Phillips. And today we are actually, um, I guess, Scott, uh, you could say that we're like, you know, we've promised for a long time that we're going to be covering comedies. Um, but I guess we're finally uh, we're, we're finally like, you know, living up to that promise uh, with a film. I think that both you and I um, really love. But what I find is that in the cultural landscape right now. Nobody talks about it as a uh, as a classic comedy, so it's almost like it's designed for the B movie podcast. Um, Scott, I'm going to hand it over to you to tell them what the movie is and kind of why we chose it. So, um, with that, yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's Rodney Dangerfield's Back to School, <laughs> and I can say that I'm old enough that I saw this in the theater with my dad. Uh, who was a uh, giant Rodney Dangerfield fan, uh, you know, growing up basically in the the 70s and the 80s. I mean, I graduated from high school in 87, so that gives you kind of an idea. Uh, you know, he was on the, like, Johnny Carson show, The mm-hmm. Tonight Show, all the time, and my dad thought that his stand-up was hilarious, and I can remember that, I want to say... Easy Money was R-rated, wasn't it? That was oh, yeah. his previous movie. Yeah. Yeah, my dad actually took me to see that because uh, he was such a fan uh, of Rodney Dangerfield. So I guess I got my first introduction to Joe Pesci in a Rodney Dangerfield comedy. <laughs> uh, and uh, and then um, uh, Back to School came out. And so my dad was like, we've got to go see this. And so it's funny because and I've talked about my dad a little bit on the show. Uh, you know, brilliant guy. He's got a PhD in theoretical mathematics, uh, has taught at multiple universities, worked on government programs and all that kind of stuff. But my dad, the last thing that my dad was or is, thankfully he's still alive, is uh, pretentious. <laughs> and so it would be so funny because he would be at like cocktail parties and get togethers. And people would ask him, you know, you get to those, oh, well, like, what are your favorite movies? And, you know, people are giving you, you know, my dinner with Andre or, you know, whatever, uh, you know, art house film they can think of. And my dad would go, mm, I'm pretty sure it's back to school. <laughs> so, so he'd be at some he'd be at some black tie affair. And, you know, uh, he was a big opera fan. Uh, and so he'd go to these different gatherings and stuff like that. And if they ever segued off into some other form of media, you would either get back to school or Jaws. <laughs> and so, you know, and I can tell him now, you know, all these years later, the, the Jaws pick still stands up, you know. Yeah. That's, that's, that's not a bad one to, to call out as your favorite film. Uh, but, uh, but there was just something about this kind of, I don't know, you know, Rodney Dangerfield kind of bridged that gap 
between like the vaudeville setup punchline setup punchline uh kind of comedy and then a little bit more of kind of the free form stand up yeah he's and 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 so he 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 has a blend of both those things yeah what i noticed like um what i what i've always noticed about dangerfield and what i've loved is is that he's got this it, it it is that vaudeville but meets Lenny Bruce sort of stream of consciousness like yeah, uh, yeah. which is kind of great because it's it it's it's almost like he he becomes like the proto modern comic like of like of the eighties of, of that whole thing of like what what um like Bill Hicks is basically but like like he's like right before that whole bill hicks eddie murphy like you know you're just gonna go ahead and talk about things but also have setups and punchlines in them but they're just buried deeply but his is a little bit more like it's very very like uh like uh what is his name uh henny youngman it's it's very like exactly but i'm bumped yeah, exactly, and it, and it's always predicated on stuff like you know his wife is nagging, exactly. him, his wife is cheating on him, you know he's terrible in bed, you know it's all this self deprecating uh, kind of humor where in essence he's kind of always the butt of the joke, yeah, and uh, and so uh, but uh, but back to school just kind of became a, a an instant classic with uh, with me and my dad. I mean, I I love Sam Kinison as a oh, stand up yes. comedian. And so to have him playing the, you know, history professor uh, and then all the stuff with, you know, Thornton Mellon uh, and his questionable business tactics being in that, you know, econ uh, class. Uh, and uh, and so, you know, I mean, just some of the setups are just amazing. And, and it was, uh, you know, such a funny film that it's it's one I've been uh, back to time and again. Matter of fact, probably the first time that it hit disc of any kind uh, i sent it to my dad uh for him to to put in his collection and you know my dad probably doesn't care but i even upgraded him to like you know blu-ray or <laughs> at, at the appropriate time and so that's what you know you can go look at my dad's uh, dvd shelf and you know you'll see like the rockford files and uh, all these different kind of vintage PI shows, and then their sets back to school. <laughs> it's always funny to see like um, dad's like uh, video shelves. Um, like my dad was a vicari- a vicarious like um, like VHS guy. Like that was his that, that those were his that was his hill. That was like his Blu-ray and 4K for like us. Um, and, but like when it came to DVD, it was so weird. Like what his, like his, his fucking shelf was like, it was like, like he had like an inordinate amount of like, um, Larry Fishburne movies. So like fled was something that he had. And like, it was just, it was just a weird conflicts of stuff like biker boys. Um, it, it was very, very weird. He was like, he was a hard stand for Larry Fishburne, um, with like the, with his DVD collection, but it was like an odd rando like thing. And then a bunch of like, of those world series DVDs, 
Like for no reason right. whatsoever. Like, like it wasn't even like the teams that were like he had one. Like he was an Angels fan, so like he had one. I think it was what the two thousand and one World Series where the Angels won. Um, but then everything else was just like a random mishmash of like World Series <laughs> like collections and shit. And um, yeah, like it's always funny to see dad like dad shelves just like dad shoes. They're just like a random mishmash of shit. Um, but. Uh, back to school, like what I find so interesting about this movie and Dangerfield's career as as a whole is that he didn't become a movie star until he was in his 60s. Like the first film that really became like like where he like hit it was uh, Caddyshack. Yep. Um, he was 60. He was 61 when that movie was or no, he was just shy of 60, 59 when that movie came out. <laughs> um and a lot of it had to do with the fact that um, Harold Ramis loved him. Like he like. Yeah. Harold... Oh, I mean, that character just had to have been created for him. Yeah. Because that whole kind of just boorish, you know, gauche uh, kind of character is, is just his shtick. Yeah. And so it was just like a perfect uh, role for his persona that he likes to play. Uh, in uh, in comedies, you know, he's always this. Uh, I mean, at least in Back to School, and and especially in Caddyshack, you know, he's this guy with all this money, uh, but still kind of quote unquote no class. Yeah. Uh, and so that always, you know, I get no respect and all that always became kind of his shtick, uh, and so he even incorporated it into those those movie roles. No, absolutely. And um, I mentioned Ramus because from everything that I've heard, Ramus always helped out Dangerfield's films. I mean, including like like a lot of script doctoring, uncredited stuff. Um but like here he actually gets a full credit. Like he gets he gets a full written by credit, not singly. Like there's like seven writers on this fucking film. Right. But um I just find it interesting that Ramus was like I was doing a little bit of research and Ramus always had love for Dangerfield because of just how much of an ally Dangerfield was to Ramus during the Caddyshack days. Cause like, I guess it was, it was like uh Caddyshack was definitely something that was a tough shoot. I mean, all you have to do is read about it and like just the right. egos and the cocaine that was involved in that fucking movie. <laughs> um, Great combination. Exactly. Egos and uh, egos and cocaine. <laughs> Bill Murray and Chevy Chase, the, the ultimate showdown of the eighties SNL comedians. Um, right. Uh, but here, like, what I love is, like, you know, the rewatch of it is, A, it's still funny as shit, but B, it's, it really does, like, it, it, sh it's shaped to be, like, the best foot forward for, for Dangerfield as a persona. Like, it's not like Thornton Mellon isn't Rodney Dangerfield and Rodney Dangerfield isn't Thornton Mellon, but the edges are just shaved off just enough to make him this really lovable lout. Like what I love is that he has Burt Young as his chauffeur, like muscle man. Yeah. And Burt Young, like I, I fucking love Burt Young. Like, like he's like my, he, other than Rocky, like in the Rocky films, he is my favorite character in the Rocky series, just because he is like, Burt Young is like a man out of time. Like mm -hmm. he, like Burt Young was, was, was birthed 
as a 65-year-old man, and he just never changed. Like, him and fucking Burgess Meredith were just old men from the beginning. It didn't matter, like... Like, like he even looks like a baby, Burt Young, like, like, (laughs) (laughs) but it's like these, like these nice things that kind of shape him into this, this guy that still is Rodney Dangerfield. And he's still like, you know, this movie is still like a slobs versus snobs, but it's Mm -hmm. not even, but it's not even a snobs versus slobs. It's like a, like, it's like this whole thing about like taking on the institution of stuffiness. Um, and, right. and, and like, you know, like work versus the working, like the intelligentsia versus the working class, but it's not as simple as like, like, you know, slobs versus snobs or anything like that, because like, it's just this whole thing of like, you know, like, like, uh, I don't even know how to put it. Like, because it's, it, it, it makes it sound like it's this whole thing of like, 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 like like red versus blue which is it's not like that it it's more along the lines of like taking on like what what college what an ivy league school can can mean and just taking the air out of it things things weren't so mean-spirited back then yeah you know i mean these days i mean everything is just so ugly you know you can't express uh you know anything like uh like i don't know why i go back to the social media well uh-huh. about anything other than film. No, you know? no, absolutely. Because like, you know, you know, I'm a big baseball fan. Yeah. And so I just kind of think that this upcoming season is just kind of a joke. I mean, it's like, it'll be fine as an idle diversion, but people are online talking about records. You know, do you think somebody will hit 400 this season? I'm like, who cares? That, yeah. that, that record only matters if you played 162 games. Yep. You know, uh, otherwise it'll be, you know, best hot streak or whatever you want to call it. Uh, and and so uh, and so I said something about, oh, you know, I'll watch it, you know, for fun, but I'm not really invested in what happens. Pretty benign comment. Man, I got this whole string of people telling me, you know, who cares what you think or, gee, Scott, I'm so glad you told us that you're not invested in the season. And, you know, just all these comments back at something that innocuous. And so, you know, when you think about it, I mean, you know, people are meaner, humor can be meaner. And so one of the things about, you know, back to school is instead of it being ugly, it's, it's like its tone is, Hey, get over yourself. No, absolutely. You know, we're all, we're all people getting along, you know, with our problems and our successes and our failures and stuff like that. And so it's kind of like, just because you're rich, just because you were born into the right family, just because you've been given some advantages or what have you get over yourself. And so he's kind of like, you know, the the working stiff uh, who, you know, founded a company that wound up being very successful. Uh, and then now he's plunged into this world of of Ivy League kind of pretension. But the humor itself isn't mean. No. And so that's one of the big changes that you notice from comedies of that era is, you know, uh, I mean, in a way. You know, everybody at the end of one of those movies is still kind of friends when it's over. No, absolutely. Like, and oh, go ahead. No, no, no. no. I was just going to say. And so, I mean, you know, that was always the thing was, was everybody winds up being the butt of a joke at some point. Absolutely. And, and, and that was really the way a lot of the, the racial stuff, all that kind of stuff. I mean, you know, you go back and look at some of that stuff and you'll cringe sometimes. 
But then you'll realize as it goes on, everybody takes a hit. Mm -hmm. So there may have been, you know, a joke at the expense of a black character. There may have been a joke at the expense of a white character and a female character, whatever. Now, a lot of people are still offended by that, by modern standards. And I get that. But my point was, you know, behind that was, you know, it was all based on we can all poke a little fun at ourselves. If all you did was make fun of one certain type of character, well, then you've got a problem. Yeah. But in these 80s comedies, it was like everybody took a hit and we all laughed because we were all kind of in it together, so to speak. And and what's happened now is, is everything has just gotten so hypersensitive uh, that uh, you can't do this kind of stuff anymore. No, absolutely. And like what I like about it is that like even like somebody like William Zapka is not really the dick he usually is in, in movies like Karate Kid or Just One of the Guys. I mean, the guy who's like known to be like the the ultimate douchebag in like 80s movies is not really even all that bad. I mean, he's like he just says a couple of mean lines and it's actually um, Keith Gordon's character that beats the shit out of him. And it's not the other way around. Which is kind of like, it's kind of funny how like the movie is not like you like you said it, it takes its punches at everybody and including Thornton. Like Thornton is right. not like you know like there's a moment where like his like like he's always been good natured and then like he's trying to like get Sally Kellerman's character. He's trying to date Sally Kellerman's character and um, finally like you know like he does something really stupid, but it's not really even like, like he's not betting some women, like some girls. He's just like fooling around in a hot tub, but right. There's a cost for that. And like, you know, he's, it's, it's like one of those moments, like he cheats, like he cheats on, on a bunch of exams. And like, I mean, which leads to the, the, like, I had forgotten that Kurt Vonnegut is actually in this fucking film. And the, that's awesome. And the punchline. That's awesome. Yeah, exactly. The punchline to the to the Vonnegut scene is so great um, yep. because it takes the airs out of Kurt Vonnegut. Like, I mean, like, I just want to know, like, like, this is a movie where I would really love a commentary that actually talks about things, which it doesn't have, um, because I just yeah. want to I just want to know how the hell did you get Kurt Vonnegut <laughs> to agree to this? Yeah, you got to you got to know that, like, you know, when you see seven people credited with writing the screenplay, that they're all just sitting around spitballing scenarios and jokes and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And somebody had to have said, I wonder if we could get Kurt Vonnegut to actually be in this movie. Exactly. And you never know if somebody else raises their hand and goes, well, I mean, he's my mom's cousin, or <laughs> you know, and all of a sudden he's willing to be in it. But I'm sure it's because he could appreciate the nature of the joke, you know, absolutely. Uh, the, the, the idea of, you know, interpretation of literature and and how pretentious certain folks can get about things and that there's somehow a right answer uh, and all that. And so there's all kinds of stuff packed into just those couple of little jokes. No, absolutely. And while we're speaking about cast, I mean, this cast is really deep. If you really look at it, I mean, like like Dangerfield is around Sally Kellerman, Burt Young, Keith Gordon, um, uh, Paxton Whitehead, Terry Farrell, uh, M. Emmett Walsh, Adrian Barbeau, who has a who has a great cameo, Robert Picardo. Um, I mean, uh, 
Edie McClure, who's like one of my favorite, uh, like, you know, like side 80s actresses that shows up in like just about every comedy. And of course, right. Ned Beatty and Sam Kinison. Iron Man. Yes. And then, of course, we forgot Iron Man, Robert Downey Jr. playing the spastic spaz that he was that he that he always played in those in, in like everything in the 1980s like like <laughs> exactly. who would have who would have thought like like that's literally like saying uh, like 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 thinking that Robert Downey Jr like watching this movie and trying to reconcile that he's going to eventually be Iron Man and possibly like one of the biggest actors in the world is so baffling to me. Mm-hmm. Like literally, <laughs> literally Rodney Dangerfield has like a line to him as he's on the floor with his legs spread open. Mm-hmm. He's like, you're the poster child for, uh, you're the poster child for what, what was it? Um, uh, birth control. Birth control. Yeah. You're the, you're the poster child yeah. for birth control. And this man would eventually evolve to, like you said, Tony Stark, Iron Man is, is one of the delights of the movie because it leads you down this, like, if you've never, if you, if you've never seen stuff from early Robert Downey Jr. career, this leads you down a wonderful rabbit hole of just what kind of actor he was before that, before he started, you know, doing this. I, I, I liken it to kind of like, you know, when you go back and look at school pictures of yourself. Yeah. And you got those couple of years where it's kind of like, you know, you got the bowl cut and maybe you got the crooked teeth because you hadn't gotten the braces yet. And you just look at yourself and everybody will always say the same thing. Well, everybody has an awkward phase. And so to me, those Robert Downey Jr. movies are kind of like his cinematic awkward phase. You know, he he eventually became kind of like handsome and cool and all that kind of stuff uh, and was able to graduate from all of that. It's kind of like uh, George Clooney, you know, getting a start on the facts of life <laughs> you know? and then cutting off yeah. that mullet eventually. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Get rid of the perms <laughs> and start uh, GQing it up and then next thing you know you've got a long career no absolutely it, it is definitely it, it's it's one of those weird things that you just kind of look at it and go wow yeah there was definitely uh as the kids say nowadays a glow up uh, with robert downey jr in every way shape or form um but it, it's and you, and you also shouldn't forget in that that there's also a very quick cutaway to Danny Elfman. Yes. So who you gotta love that when Oingo Boingo is your frat party band. So. Uh, and who is uh, who who actually composed the score for this movie? <laughs> I was about to say and went on to become uh one of the biggest film composers in the business. No, absolutely. And this and this movie he he actually scored. I, I bet you anything. They got him, they asked him because I mean Oingo Boingo at the time was one of the biggest like like alternative like alt bands mm-hmm. there was out mm-hmm. there how much do you want to bet when they reached out to him he go you know what because he had just done peewee's big adventure i bet you anything they were like he was like you know what if i'll get boingo on set and we'll we'll perform dead man's party and all the others the hits if you let me score the film could be and the score for this film like it is it's like it's a great score because it's not necessarily a comedy score. It's very much so like his Pee Wee's Big Adventure score where it's big, 
It's bold. It's kind of unique. But at the same time, it doesn't feel like a comedy score. It doesn't feel like that um, that Mickey Mouse kind of stuff that I really dislike in comedy. Um, it, it really is like this big score that gives like Thornton Mellon a, an actual theme. And like the funniest part to me about this film is that it does what a lot of 80s movies do, uh, do which is it takes a sport that no one fucking cares about and makes you care about it, even though it's only five <laughs> minutes of the fucking film. I mean, <laughs> oh, that is funny. That is funny. The triple, I, uh, you know, I was just sitting there trying to think of, you know, my timeline. So this was what? 86. Yes. So it was just two years later that I saw Oingo Boingo at a club in Atlanta. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Wow. So I was, I was trying to, trying to think of the, yeah. Cause 86, uh, I would have been going into, I guess, my senior year of high school. So uh, I was in uh, Athens, Georgia, a couple years after this movie came out, which, of course, was a music mecca. Yeah. And uh, saw all sorts of great folks. But uh, but, yeah, I remember seeing them uh, live at uh, the Roxy in Atlanta. So who knew that I was sitting there staring at a guy that would go on to compose a gajillion film scores? Seriously, seriously. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's just, it's this, like, like it, it's one of those films that you can just put on, and it's just gonna, like, if it's not, it'll make you laugh a couple of times, but it also will, like, basically just put a smile on your face the entire yep. runtime. It's not, it, it, yep. there's nothing really offensive about it. Like, like I said, like, they mm -hmm. really shaved off the edges off of, uh, off of, um, Dangerfield, but... The other thing that I, I, I found fascinating was this is at the beginning of PG-13. and I was going to ask. I was going to ask if, if this wasn't a, an early PG-13-er. Yeah, it definitely was because there's breasts. Uh, there's a couple of F-bombs, at least three F-bombs mm -hmm. that, mm -hmm. that I counted. So this is not like this is like nowadays this would be an R just for the uh, just for the press. Just for the new right. breast would be would be an R. I mean, and the F bombs because like at least there's three or four, and I mean everything else is like there's a like it's it's a very light like for me it's a light R. So I mean mm. like you also got to figure that eighty five was when the PG thirteen was put in, and I'm pretty sure they didn't know what the hell they were doing, and so like certain movies were like, oh well, you know what? There's not a like there's only like three nude breasts, like pair of breasts, and there's only four f bombs. I think that we could remember. Uh, we were laughing so much. Let's just yeah, PG thirteen. You know, right. it, it's not this like it was before like the MPAA became a bunch of school uh, like you know soccer moms and like religious figures and became this oh, puritanical. Yeah. Well, and it was also you know they actually took into account like context. Yes. And so it's kind of like there was nudity, like somebody running by with no clothes on, versus nudity during sex. Exactly. And so there's a difference between nudity and sexual content. And so, uh, so that was actually differentiated, uh, between, and then I also think that like you're saying, they can kind of take the overall tone into account and, and see that it's a pretty, you know, lighthearted at its root kind of silly, 
uh, film, which is which is what I enjoy so much about you know revisiting it, and and actually a, a couple of others that I won't mention that you and I've discussed uh, that we're gonna we're gonna discuss on this podcast, and and I think a common theme to those uh, is that you know the tone is so pleasant overall. Yes, absolutely. You know, you know, and and also I'll tell you, you know, it's it's funny. Um, I, uh, one of my hobbies is playing drums Mm -hmm. and, and so I used to joke with people when they would say, do you like a particular band? And I'd be like, they're okay. But you know, my general rule is, you know, you got to be able to play drums better than me for me to really be interested in your music. (laughs) So if it was a band that just had a mediocre drummer or something like that, I usually wasn't that interested. Yeah. So, you know, that's kind of the way that I used to look at comedies, you know? Uh, and still do. I'm like, you know, I didn't make fart jokes. You know, I didn't make boner jokes or whatever. So it's like, unless you're funnier than I am, I'm probably not going to find your movie to be funny. No, absolutely. And, so, absolutely. And, and so that's what I love about this brand of humor is basically it isn't just a bunch of dick jokes. No, it's not. And 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 so to me, it takes more talent to come up with like character driven humor than it does just to make a bunch of dirty jokes. Absolutely. I and mean, it's not that I'm like a prude. Hey, I'll, yeah, I'll laugh at a funny, dirty joke as, <laughs> as much as the next person. Uh, but the point is, if your movie isn't any funnier than me hanging out with a few of my friends on a Saturday night, then something's wrong. And yeah. I find that a lot of the comedies over the last 20 years fall in that category. And so, you know, the, 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 the main one that I can think of that is super clever that I was like, wow, it's one of the funniest comedies I've seen in a long time is Game Night. Yep. Yeah. I was and, just going to say that because. It's, yeah. And uh, because so many of them are just so, you know, bare bones, basic bottom of the barrel kind of humor. And uh, and so that's why this, I think, is is kind of refreshing because, you know, like the whole Sam Kinison bit. You know, it doesn't work unless he's doing it. No, absolutely not. And, you know, you no, no, no. You're absolutely 100% right. And, and furthermore, it like if you listen to the content, it is truly, truly un PC, unfiltered. Like, if <laughs> if anybody else does it, it's not a joke. But with him, it's like you understand, like, this is a certain type of person, and he's playing like the best part is, is that. Kinnison is playing a character like right. like he is playing a Vietnam vet that is that has like literally he is the analogous of 30, 30 plus years later, like who fucking uh, like uh, who would be in the five bloods as D-Roy Lindo's character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. And so uh uh, it's funny. As soon as you started heading in that direction, I knew exactly what you were going to say. Cause that's exactly <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and so the character once again is, you know, geared toward his stand up, you know, persona, yes. uh, which was, you know, the screaming angry, he was kind of like Lewis black before Lewis black. Absolutely. Uh, and, uh, but I mean that bit, you know, doesn't work unless he's the one who's doing it. But once again, it's character driven, uh, humor. And so anytime you see him, you're thinking, Oh my God, here comes a tirade, uh, about something. And so, uh, I just prefer that, uh, type of humor. Like probably my, you know, people ask me, what is your all time favorite comedy? Mm -hmm. My answer is probably broadcast news. Yeah. 
and and it's for that very reason because it's just very character driven humor it's very witty it's very smart uh and then you know and and so don't get me wrong i'm not saying back to school is broadcast news <laughs> but, what but what i'm saying is it's not just kind of like the bodily function humor comedy of the week you know it's yeah. it's uh, it, it's something that uh, is actually you know well put together uh, and the jokes work because you get to know the people. No, absolutely. Um, like, like uh, it, it is very interesting how much, like, and I think that this is the reason why we don't cover comedy is, is that, like, like the modern stuff or some of the stuff that people really love, I don't love. Like, I, I'll be very honest. Like, the some a lot of the modern stuff is just it's not funny to me. Like. Like, it's just, huh, okay. I mean, you know, I I can, like you said, like, I can do the same thing with a bunch of my friends and, uh, like, you know, it'd be probably more entertaining to me because I know these people. Like, I know these people deeply. Like, like I know my friends better than, like, these on-screen personas. And right. so, like, when a film is plot and character-based and it manages to take the humor and imbue it into the story is what I love. Like, I mean, I'm all for airplane, but even airplane, the movie is like the, like airplane and the naked gun movies, um, or even like hot shots movies. Like they still have a basic story, but what they're doing is they're taking the piss out of the tropes in those particular mm -hmm. types of stories. Like, I don't find the scary movie funny uh, movies funny because they're literally like what essentially what Family Guy does, which is just throw shit at a wall and hope something sticks. Right. You know, and I can do that. I can do with a fucking non sequitur. Like I like and I know that I like, you know, this sounds like me being pompous. But to be perfectly honest, like the things that are funny to me, like the movies that are now funny to me are stuff like like Wes Anderson, like Wes Anderson's films are truly funny because they're doing exactly what eighties and seventies comedies did, which is imbue them with character and character based comedy within a story. Yeah. You know? And, and, and I think the key is, is like, if you look at the ones that are rewatchable and that kind of resonate with you, they're always things that you can identify with. Absolutely. So, so, I mean, you look at something like bridesmaids, everybody can think of stories in their family and friends and whatnot of things that took place around weddings and the change involved in weddings, uh, and stuff like that. Uh, you know, even there's something about Mary, you know, it, it, the, it starts yeah. out with the fundamental premise of the little gooby nerdy guy who's actually going to get a shot to go out with like the gorgeous girl and, and where it goes from there. And this idea that a date going horribly awry could somehow like change the rest of your life. And, uh, and so they're all things that you can kind of identify with, you know, even with back to school, it's, you know, I mean, for those who went, you can remember going off, you know, on your college days, uh, for other folks, you can definitely identify with like the idea of people looking down their nose at you, uh, the haves, the have nots, that aspect of it, the whole get over yourself pretension, uh, kind of thing. There's just lots of things in these movies that you can identify with. And so I think what happens is, is because comedies have this tendency to feel like they need to top one another, 
eventually the premise gets so outlandish that you just can't identify with anybody. Yep. You're just like, I'm not like this. None of my friends are like this. I just, I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't get this. And so maybe you chuckle a little bit and otherwise it's a bust for you. Yeah. And, and so, uh, and so I think most of the, uh, the best comedies, uh, there's on some level you can identify with it. No, absolutely. And in back to school, you can definitely identify with it. Like, like, especially if you like, like what I love about the film, like that, like that, they really work hard at is like this, this relationship between Thornton and his, and his son, Jason, and how that's like the heart of the film. It's not Thornton matching up with uh, Sally Kellerman or anything like that. It's like this whole thing of like, like Jason wanting to do his own thing and Thornton kind of getting in the middle of it. And both of them kind of reconciling that the fact that they they kind of need each other as father and son. And it's a it's like this weird hokey thing, but it works. It works for the film. And it's something that you don't often see in like in like movies is like this thing of like fathers and sons having a good relationship that's tested. But at the end of it, it becomes this whole thing of like, OK, we're going to squash that because I you need my help, dad. And and the dad being appreciative of that help, which is kind of interesting if you really think about it. Right. You know, um, it's just it's like you said, it's an altogether like pleasant movie, but it's not pleasant in the way that it doesn't have its virtues. Like I always I often think of like like when somebody says pleasant, I think of um, uh, Craig Mangiani or whoever that saxophone dude is. Like you know which one I'm talking about? Kenny G. No, not Kenny G, but the the other guy before him. Um, I. But it's like, <laughs> it, it's like elevator music, which it's definitely not. Like right. there's this, there's this, like there's this kind of not like there's this pleasantness to it, but it still has, it still has its it it its nicks and its dings and its sharp edges. It's just not as it's not as abrasive as some of the shit that came out of the 80s like like i like a weird thing is like i recently did a a rewatch of meatballs and holy Mm -hmm. shit is that a troubling movie like (laughs) like you watch it now and you go wow this is like really like the reason why it worked was bill murray but now it's like there's so much time that's passed that bill murray isn't like this this huge swaggering thing in comedy. And if you just look at it, like from like, just as a movie, man, that movie is really like, I, like, I, I thought that maybe we might cover it, but no, I'm not going to cover it just because there's just too much in that movie that, that you can't reconcile with modern era. Um, guys go, yeah. go watch yeah. fucking. You know what's so funny <laughs> is, is, uh, is just not, you know, just not knowing at the time. No, you know? Absolutely. I mean, it's just it is amazing how much, uh, you know, just cultural norms have changed. Oh, yeah. And how much more mindful people are uh, of things, because I know that that kids of the current generation, uh, you know, are the most recent generations, your 20 somethings and younger, probably look at people from my generation like, what were y'all thinking? You know, just with regard to the entertainment, some of the music and stuff like that. And I mean, the answer truly is it was just a different time. Yep. 
you know, now, I mean, some of it, don't get me wrong, some of it, you know, I'm 14 years old going, damn, that's racist as shit, you know, in the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> so you know but, that but, it's bad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But the, the more subtle kind of stuff probably didn't even notice because yeah. that was just what things were kind of like around you. You know, yeah, it, it just looked like a reflection of what was going on. But uh, of course, none of that plagues back to school. I mean, there's no like, you know, racial slurs or anything like that. So that's not what I'm trying to uh, to say. But I'm just saying some of the comedy of that era, you do go back and look at it and just cringe. Uh, but, you know, to me also, some of it is, uh, you know, what were you trying to accomplish? Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, they use the the N word on Sanford and Son, which, but wow, but, yeah, but it was always to point out like racial injustice or something. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it was always always like almost like a like a class or a category reference, like we're being treated like X while white people are being treated this way. Mm -hmm. And and so not saying that anybody would condone the usage of that word uh, on, you know, mainstream television these days. But what I'm saying is, is sometimes it was done to make the point to be shocking and and make the point. And so there's something to say for, you know, everything has become very sanitized at this point. Yeah, well, it, it's it's the whole like, and we've talked about this a little bit, but but um, the whole thing of like, like uh, portrayal is acceptance and not condemnation, which like which like like people like people are like you know, and and rightfully so are super upset with the way that that people have been like, you know, certain groups have been portrayed for so fucking long. Oh yeah. But oh, yeah. like, like, you know, Martin Scorsese, like, like it's like Martin Scorsese having characters use the N word in like, say something like Goodfellas. Mm -hmm. Like if it was released now, they would say Martin Scorsese is racist because his characters right. use the N word, which it's not that, but also the fact is, is that that was, he's showing something that these are the kind of people that, that yeah. people, other people have glorified. I'm not glorifying yeah. them. I'm just showing, yeah. you know? Well yeah, well, yeah, I mean, exactly. I mean, you know, you're not supposed to, uh, I know what you're talking about when they're talking about Sam Jackson's character mm -hmm. and, and, and talk about basically black people who rob places only they don't call them black people. Yeah. And, uh, and all that, but you're supposed to be offended. Exactly. That, that's the whole point. You're supposed to find that repulsive. You're not supposed to find that like, oh yeah, of course, you know, if, if that's your reaction, then I'm a little worried. Uh, you're supposed to be offended by it. I mean, even, I mean, Joe Pesci's character is so repugnant on so many levels. And, uh, I mean, do, do you remember the, the scene where he's, you know, with the, uh, with the, the woman, I think he's trying to, you know, uh, take her home, you know, get yes. her in the sack or whatever. And he says, he calls her Jew broad. Yeah. Which he is goes, I'm like sitting here getting some kind of grief from a Jew broad, you know, I mean, he's, he's a bigot across all lines. Exactly. Uh, and, and and so they're not shying away from that. And so I think, you know, part of the problem is, you know, it, it's, it's almost like it, it, let's sanitize everything to the point that we can't actually learn anything from stuff. No, you're, you're absolutely 100 percent right. And, um, you know, again, 
uh, back to school is not not like this. Uh, it's no, just, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's interesting. It's, it leave it to one of our conversations to somehow wind up talking about uh, Joe Pesci and Goodfellas uh, in a review of uh, of Back to School. So, no, this, was, <laughs> this was quite a segue. Back to School is actually a, a very uh, pleasant, uh, you know, uh, uh, comedy that doesn't have uh, you know all of these ugly edges to it. But you know, my point was smart, funny comedy. Uh, versus easy, cheap, stupid comedy. Exactly. Exactly. And um, you can actually find this right now on Amazon Prime. Um, it's like, you know, it, it's it, like, that's how I watched it because there's a Blu-ray out, but there's not a good Blu-ray out. And maybe hopefully, I mean, some of the shit that they're releasing that's like, quote unquote, comedies from the 80s, I'm genuinely shocked by um, in special editions. So, uh, maybe if more people watched this movie, maybe they would like see the metrics and maybe get this thing out in a newer, nicer Blu-ray. Um, yeah, because... that, I was really hoping that it would join, you know, the jerk and some of these other titles uh, over at, uh, you know, the Shout Factory operation. Yes, absolutely. Like Shout Factory uh, would be like, and I am genuinely shocked that this hasn't. But then again, there's a couple of uh, there's a couple of things that we're talking about, like actually doing that don't have special editions either that should be that should be special editions, um, especially considering like they're just as good of comedies as anything else, like, say, The Jerk, um, which I'm I'm OK with J The Jerk. I'm, I'm I like The Jerk. It's just not my favorite Steve Martin. My favorite Steve yeah. Martin is L.A. Story, which may be a movie that we may need to cover. Um, I don't know if you if you like that and Roxanne. I think both of those are kind of like equal in my esteem. My dad was a big Steve Martin fan, so that would mm. be another one that I was introduced to early on. I actually saw The Jerk in the theater. Oh, wow. So, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so my dad was a, a big fan of his as well. But uh, I've decided that if nothing else, Back to School has given us a potential tagline or or motto for this podcast which is it is they really seem to care about what i have no idea yeah. <laughs> i love that i love so, that. so so there you go the way that we could segue all over the place that's that's his reaction he doesn't say they he says he uh when he's referring to sam kinnison but i thought we can just pluralize it and take it so <laughs> um with that where can people find you this week yeah, uh, my uh, video-related reviews appear at uh, WRBL.com. Uh, I can be found on Twitter at uh, mscott underscore Phillips. Uh, and uh, then, of course, written content, when I manage to muster it up around those other outlets, uh, comes to the movie aisle. And uh, actually, uh, hopefully, we'll have uh, some uh, reviews coming from an online festival that I've been watching here recently. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you can reach uh, you can find the uh, the B movie podcast and the movie aisle on Twitter and Instagram there. Uh, the social media handles are so the B movie podcast is for both Twitter and Instagram is the B movie po or B movie pod. The letter B, the word movie, the word pod all together. Uh, no lines or no dashes or anything like that. And then the movie aisle is the movie aisle. Uh, so the word the the word movie and the word aisle aisle with an i not an a uh, i keep on forgetting to tell people that and i wonder if they actually use aisle as in like an aisle in a store rather than aisle like as an island 
Um, <laughs> so you can find all of our content there. Uh, Twitter is more of like a landing page where you can see the reviews that are posted. You can see uh, we like, you know, uh, whatever we're, whatever Scott's posting, whatever I'm posting, like the reviews there, uh, podcasts. Um, Instagram is a little bit more like uh, of a active social media where we're actually posting like different various contents of like what we're currently watching but not reviewing, things like that, uh, upcoming things that we're hinting at. So you may want to actually follow us on Instagram and like respond to us on Instagram because you'll get more of a hit because, yeah, we're just not on the Twitters all that much. It's it's a dumpster fire that there's like no returning from. Um, I actually get most of my Twitter information from Scott, if you can believe that, because he's a lot more active on Twitter than I am. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I stay out of politics. I stay out of religion i stay out of all of that yet somehow film can still manage to be controversial sometimes so uh i'm mostly a, a film twitter person <laughs> um and with that guys we will be back next week with another comedy like i said uh, we're actually going to be probably doing some more comedies to kind of um uh, make good on our promise that we're going to cover more comedies because it's it's interesting it's, it's, it's a different look than we're used to um i think that this kind of prompted a little bit different of a conversation than we we kind of normally do here at the movie aisle and you kind of get to know a little bit more about our our comedic tastes from it's, this it's it's kind of like uh if if the world is already a gloomy genre film <laughs> exactly maybe, maybe we should turn our focus to some comedies for a little while absolutely absolutely and i uh, like and not just older comedies but i think that we might be covering a couple of newer comedies i'm going to run them past scott um specifically i think that like you know i'm pretty sure that there's a movie that we ju we did mention that i think that we should cover because we've talked about it enough to where i think that we can do a whole episode about it cuz it does merit it does merit a, a conversation, at least two, one from the 80s and one that's just recently come out. So and then there's another one that I want to run past him. So we're going to be doing some comedies for a while. And like you said, it's a gloomy fucking fucking John Carpenter scored, <laughs> written and directed without fucking Kurt Russell in it. Fucking like like gloomy ass genre film that is 2020. So take it as what you will. Maybe some uh, some light at the end of the tunnel. So with that, guys, we'll talk to you soon.